Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary and Purpose Big Book Study Group. To prepare for our Big Book Study, let's get focused by having a moment of three-minute silent meditation followed by the fog light prayer. Good evening, everyone. I am a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Lexi. Hi, Lexi. Hi, guys. I'm a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Rob. Thank you for joining us tonight. We're going to start the meditation in a minute, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or will distract others for the duration of the meeting. The coffee area will be closed for this portion of the meeting as to minimize distractions. Also, please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. For the meditation, some suggestions are focus on your breath and posture, breathe in God, and breathe out self. (sighs) Feels good. Take this time to get reconnected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you focus on the study. I can do it. Are you all ready? There we go. Have fun with the monks.
in our fog light prayer. If you don't know it, there might be a card in front of you, or you can just mumble along with your neighbor. God, God let your love shine through me like a fog light to those who are lost, sick, and dying, and find your love through me. All right, and we have our secretary's report. Please welcome Miss Tanisha. That's a new Hello, good evening. My name is Tanisha, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. Hi, Tanisha. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states, every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. And I've asked Malik to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. What's up, y'all? My name is Malik. Um, Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. That That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would not be able, oh, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime, but we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in his body. We are now saying where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Thank you, Willie. We read this notice to explain why many people in the... Oh, I read that part. (laughs) 1940s style big book sponsorship from forward to second edition Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sobered at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses. And among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, came to believe, and experienced is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Here we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. Ryan's ready to make a deal. <laughs> If you don't carry cash like me, um, says the um, technology and advancement of swiping, along with Zelle, um, PayPal, and, uh, oh, no, PayPal, uh, Venmo, Venmo, the other one, okay? We meet every Monday promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the Road to Recovery Tune. See you next week. From the forward of the first edition of Alcoholics Anonymous, 
We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book and of this group. From there is a solution also from the big book. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. This is an open meeting, and as such, all who have an interest in alcoholism and our program of recovery are welcome. Because this is an open meeting, you need not identify yourself nor your reason for being here if you do not wish to do so. Your anonymity will be protected. We ask that you protect ours. On the topic of anonymity, there is a microphone that goes around. This meeting is podcast on the interwebs. So if you don't want your voice out there on the internet, just feel free to pass the microphone to your neighbor in that section or just disguise your voice really well. Can we have a show of hands of people joining us for the very first time here at this meeting? All right. Welcome. And can we have a show of hands of recovered alcoholics? Leave them up. All right. If your hand's not up, find one of the people with their hands up and ask them how they did that their thing. While this is an open meeting, membership in this group is limited to those who wish to recover from alcoholism and have a desire to quit drinking for good and all. Each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is a potential sponsor of a new member and should clearly recognize the obligations and duties of such a responsibility. Does anybody need a big book? Anybody get past the welcoming committee without one? Yeah, I got a book. Where's your hand? All right. All right, before we begin our study of the big book, we actually, our traditionist is out sick tonight. So we will uh, skip tonight on the tradition and uh, we'll send a little prayer out for John and hope he has a quick recovery. All right. Where are we at? So, in order to help us stay focused, okay. just flip it on. Now, there's two sides to this thing. Uh, as we study the big book, we use the big book study guide prepared by Joe and Charlie and Krusty Cliff of the Dallas Primary Purpose Group. Right. Tonight, we have a lovely volunteer reader. Her name is Brit- Miss Brittany. Why don't you come on up here, Miss Britt? <laughs> Tonight, we are going to begin on page seven. Yep, seven is where the questions will begin. We're going to tee up on page six, and it should be the same whether you have the fatty patty or the skinny book. Uh, the, after the page is read, or pages, we are going to ask questions from the podium starting back at the bottom of page seven. The answers will be one sentence unless otherwise specified, and multi-part questions are simply a one-sentence answer split up by commas, semicolons, hyphens, and other fun bits of punctuation. Yeah. Basically, in English, what that means is that we're going to read the material once through and then re-dissect the information a second time through the question and answer format. Notice how the language in the questions gives us a new light to consider the study material. This is important because hearing the question and rereading the content offers a definite way of comprehending the material covered. After we've completed the page, we'll open up for comments, questions, and observations. Based on what was just read, we'll actually go paragraph by paragraph as we do the question and answer. If you have spiritual experiences with this information, you are free to share. However, big book study is not therapy. Should you begin sharing about topics which are much more appropriately discussed in a different setting, 
like sponsorship, please do not be offended when we cut that conversation short. For that purpose, we have fellowship meetings before and after the meeting. I think Barry is our cutoff guy tonight. Yeah, so. seems made for it. You're the man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> See what you did there. Uh, you can never go wrong by commenting on the page, which brings us to the words of one of the co-founders of Alcoholics Anonymous, sobriety, freedom from alcohol through the teaching and practice of the 12 steps is the sole purpose of any Alcoholics Anonymous group. And we didn't just like flip to page seven because it had lots of fun stuff on it, did we? How did we get here? I mean, maybe. It's been a few weeks for me, but probably <laughs> not. Uh, we started with the preface and the forewords. And if you are anything like me, you are a lazy old alcoholic, and you probably skip this good stuff the first time around. <laughs> You're going to really miss out. These are really important chapters. It kind of tells you, doesn't kind of tell you, it tells you how this whole thing got started, how it evolved. We get a few updates over the years. We learn when our book comes onto the scene. We get introduced to the traditions. I mean, you're coming to AA to get and hopefully remain sober for the rest of your life. So getting a good idea for what you're getting involved in seems, seems pretty smart to me. Yes, absolutely. You we do we don't skip those little Roman numerals and prefaces when we're in recovery. Uh, so then we get into the doctor's opinion, which is in the Roman numerals. And uh, there we get uh, Dr. William D. Silkworth's uh, medical opinion from working, his experience from working with uh, in Towns Hospital, treating uh, chronic alcoholics and drug addicts. And uh, we get introduced for the first time to the idea that we have a threefold disease, right? We have a mental obsession. We have a physical allergy to alcohol, which does not occur in any other class of drinker, only the real alcoholic, as well as uh, this spiritual malady that, that um, you know, If a doctor is honest with himself, like Dr. Silkworth was, he feels um, inadequate in conquering this disease of alcoholism because something more than human power is needed to overcome it. And he relays uh, his experience with with dealing with these chronic alcoholics. And then he gets to see uh, the birth of Alcoholics Anonymous in, in his patients and gets to see them recover. And then what we do, I guess we started Bill's story, yeah? Yeah. So it kind of brings the doctor's opinion to life. You know, you have a what we like to call a classic 12-step call. So we get introduced to Bill. We learn a little bit about how he drinks and, and how he thinks and how he feels, which are all pretty intertwined. We probably, page 7, we've probably seen him try and fail to control that drinking a few times. I don't know exactly where we're at, but it seems about right. Oh, yeah. It's not really working out for him, huh? Yeah, we get to see the progression of, of the disease. I think he and, hit his first How it unfolds in Bill's life where he's, you know, oh, no, I would never commit suicide to the very next page. Like, should I kill myself? Yeah. No, not now. Not, not so yet. That's kind of where so he's, we'll he's progressing. There. So we're going to start the questions on the bottom of seven. Um, Brittany, if you could tee us up on page six where it says the remorse, and we'll tell you when to stop. Yep, just uh, read from the remorse, and we'll probably stop you around page 10 and maybe interrupt you a few times. Oh, I see. Mic check, Mike. There you go. Am I working? You're on now, girl. Both mics are on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There we go. We good. Making sure y'all awake. (laughs) The remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. 
The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. I hardly dared to cross the street, lest I collapse and be run down by an early morning truck, for it was scarcely daylight. An all-night place supplies me with a, do- with a dozen glasses of ale. My withering nerves were still were stilled at last. A morning paper told me that the market had gone to hell again. Well, so had I. The market would recover, but I wouldn't. That was a hard thought. Should I kill myself? No, not now. Then a mental fog settled down. Gin would fix that. So two bottles and oblivion. You reading? Yep. Mm-hmm. The mind and body are marvelous mechanisms. For mine endured this agony two more years. Sometimes I stole from a wife's slender purse when the morning and terror madness, madness were on me. Again, I swayed dizzily before an open window or the medicine cabinet where there was poison, cursing myself for weakling. There were flights from city to country and back, as my wife and I sought escape. Then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish, I feared I would burst through my window, sash and all. Somehow, I managed to drag my mattress to a lower floor, lest I suddenly leap. A doctor came with a heavy sedative. Next day, found me drinking both gin and sedative. Sedative, sorry. This combination soon landed me on the rocks. People feared for my sanity. So did I. I could eat little or nothing when drinking, and I was 40 pounds underweight. My brother-in-law is a physician, and through his kindness and that of my mother, I was placed in a nationally known hospital for the mental and physical rehabilitation of alcoholics. Under the so-called belladonna treatment, my brain cleared. Hydrotherapy and mild exercise helped much. Best of all, I met a kind of doctor who explained that through certainly selfish and foolish, I had been seriously ill, bodily and mentally. It relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor. Though it often remains strong in other respects, my incredible behavior in the face of a desperate desire to stop was explained. Understanding myself now, I feared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. The goose hung high. I went to town regular, regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. The curve of my declining moral and bodily health fell off like a ski jump. After a time, I returned to the hospital. This was the finish, the, cur- the curtain, it seemed to me. My weary and despairing wife was informed that it would all end with heart failure during delirium trem- tremens, or I would develop a wet brain, perhaps within a year. She would soon have to give me over to the undertaker or the asylum. They did not need to tell me. I knew and almost welcomed the idea. It was a devastating blow to my pride. I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacity to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Now I was to plunge into the dark, joining that endless procession of thoughts who had gone on before. I thought of my poor wife. There had been much happiness after all. What would I not give to make amends? But that was over now. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of, morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. Trembling, I stepped from the hospital a broken man. Fear sobered me for a bit. Then came the insidious insanity of the first drink. And on, and on armistice... Day, 1934, I was off again. Everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut up, shut up somewhere or would stumble along to, to a miserable end. 
How dark is it before the dawn? In reality, that was the beginning of my last debauch. I was soon to be catapulted into what I would like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Near the end of the bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through the night and the next day. My my wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a bottle of gin near the head of her bed. I would need it before daylight. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. He was sober. It was years since I could remember him coming to New York in that condition. I was amazed. Rumor had it that he had been committed for alcohol insanity. I wondered, how does he? How has he escaped? Of course, he would have dinner, and then I could drink openly with him. Unmindful of his welfare, I thought of only recapturing the spirit of the, of the older days, of the other days. There was that time when we had chartered an airplane to complete a jag. He was coming... His coming was an oasis in the dreary desert of fertility. The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. The door opened and he stood there, fresh-skinned and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? I pushed a drink across the table. He refused it. Disappointed but curious. I wondered what had gotten into the fellow. He wasn't himself. Come on, what's this all about? I I queried. He looked straight at me. Simply but smilingly, he said, I've got religion. I was aghast. So that was it. Last summer, an alcoholic crackpot. Now, I suspected a little cracked about religion. He had the starry-eyed look. Yes, the old boy was on fire, all right. But bless his heart, let him rant. Besides, my gym would last longer than his preaching. But he did no ranting. In a matter of fact, he had told how two men had appeared him in court, persuading the judge to suspend his commitment. They had told him of a simple religious idea and practical program of action. That was two months ago, and the result was self-evident. It worked. He'd come to pass his experience along to me if I cared to have it. I was shocked, but interested. Certainly I was interested. I had to be, for I was hopeless. All right, we are going to stop it there for tonight, and we're going to resume our uh, start our questions on the bottom of page 7 with They Did Not Need to Tell Me. Uh, I was told that I have young legs, so I get to be the mic mm-hmm. runner tonight. That is what I said. It's the best compliment I've gotten in a while. Hmm. If I could find where we are. Page seven at the bottom. <laughs> this yes. bottom too. Right there. Okay. No extra charge. For it might tonight. be still the wrong place. We're going to find out. It's fine. Did they have to tell Bill? You talked about they did not need to tell me. Was he almost looking forward to the end? I knew and, and almost <clears throat> welcomed the idea. What did this fact do to his ego? It was a devastating blow to my pride. Uh, had Bill proved that he could make things happen in his life? I, who had thought so well of myself and my abilities, of my capacities to surmount obstacles, was cornered at last. Could he see where he was headed? I'm wrong? I might be wrong. No, Could he no, see no. where he was oh, headed? Now was to plunge into a dark, joining that endless procession of sorts who had gone on before. Nice teamwork. Of whom did Bill think? Two sentences. I thought of my poor wife. 
One more Two time. sentences. There, there had been much happiness after all. <laughs> Thanks, Sally. What did he really want to do? What would, I, what would I not give to make amends? Did he have any hope left? Um, but there was, that was over now. Yeah, it seems right. Perfect. All right. We opening this bad boy up for questions? We doing paragraph by paragraph? That's yeah? right. I see a hand. Where's a hand? Oh. I could have guessed. Another one. That was good. Hi, Ricardo Alcoholic Mike Chase. Mike hey, Chase. Mike Chase. I like this part when I'm working with people, bring them through the book. It's uh, all I could think about is where was I in my recovery at the time? My bills were unpaid. My job was precarious. My roommate was freaking out. My friends at certain times didn't want anything to do with me. As in Bill's story, you know, he he was. He, he, was just, he just overheard the doctor telling him that he's going to be locked up or dead for a while if he doesn't get his act together. And the idea was there was no solution like Alcoholics Anonymous at the time for him, so it was hopeless, he felt. Um, but just looking back at the chaos that was behind him to sober up to what? This onslaught of unmanageable life, this onslaught of just more of the same misery but not drinking, which was where I was at in, in times of AA. If I, if I, there was a time when I was told that in order to stay sober and be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you're just going to have to go to two or three meetings a day for the rest of your life in order mm. to get through. That was told to me by people who weren't in the book and to recover it and to seek a relationship with God. Those were the media maker makers folks. And, and I would just, if that was going to be my life, just shoot myself in the head, you know. But then, I, then it occurred to me, and I tell my guys, and for Bill, we have a step program a fourth step where I can review my life and I can right the wrongs a little bit later on. I can have a life that has hope. I have a life where the past is cleaned up. And I, can, I like to say it's like a, the program gives me a, a clean slate in the morning. I start fresh. It takes a while to get there, but through steps four, five, six, and seven, I have a clean slate, and eight and nine lets me clear up with the rest of the world. And, and I think a little bit later I'm going to see that Bill finds that life and it goes on. But the fact that the hopelessness of like, why should I put down the drink and the drugs? My life sucks. What else do we have to offer? Thank God we got this. You know, the program. Thanks. Amen. Thank you for sharing. Do we have another one? Yeah. We're going paragraph by paragraph, but if it bleeds over, that's good. Go, go for it. All right. Hi, recovered alcoholic named Kelly. Hi, Kelly. So no words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. And if you've done the crunch monkey, there's another side note to that one. Uh, (laughs) The next sentence, it's crazy how, you know, in 2019 I can relate to the same situation that Bill was going through in 1934. Because he says, trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man, and fear sobered me for a little bit. And then came the insidious insanity of that first drink on Armistice Day. In 1934, I was off again. You know, and I had, I had the, the same experience. You know, and I was to be locked up in treatment. You know, I, was, I was sent out to treatment. And I went, not because I wanted to, 
but because I was trying to save my tush. You know, I was trying to save my, my home, my living situation, because I had not really been intro- I'd, I'd slightly been introduced to the program, but I wasn't ready. Um, you know, so after I got out of treatment and I came back home, fear did sober me for a little bit. You know, but fear of doing the work kept me away from it as well. You know, so the insidious day came. It was actually July 4th. And, um, you know, I was off again. So, you know, self-knowledge of what had happened to me before didn't keep me sober. Fear didn't keep me sober. And truth be told, you know, he says how dark it is before the dawn. Because that last drink was actually my launching into the fourth dimension. That was the last drink I had to take, you know. And never in my life, you know, I'll be sober three years here coming up soon. And never in, in my life would I have thought that I could live sober and happy in a useful, peaceful existence. With that, I guess we'll continue on to the other, the other paragraph. Awesome. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. Anyone else want to share on this paragraph that we just read? All right. Let's get the questions. All right. Where are we at? What did Bill feel? No words could tell of the loneliness and despair I found in the bitter morass of self-pity. What did Bill completely surrender to? Rest of the paragraph, please. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. How did Bill leave leave Towns Hospital the second time? Did we want to open that last paragraph? Oh, yeah, that's a paragraph, man. Oh, yeah. Oops. All right, that's a good one, too. We got hands going up everywhere. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Um, so something I've written next to this paragraph, uh, it says Bill's first step question mark. Um, and it just makes me uh, remember coming down to Florida. Um, and I remember before I, before I got on the plane to come to Florida, I had conversations with like friends back home being like, yeah, I'm going down to Florida and like I'm not going to do any of those steps or anything like that or get a sponsor because you know, I knew everything. Um, so I just remember there was like a moment I was sitting on the plane, which was a ticket bought for me, by the way, by my mom, because I didn't have a job. Um, so I'm sitting on the plane with like maybe like a dollar or something in my pocket on my way to Florida, not really sure of where I'm going that night. Um, there was like some plans up in the air, but nothing was really set in stone. Um, and I just remember sitting there and being like, wow, like this is nuts. Like what is going on with my life right now? I'm, 34 years old, I'm heading down to South Florida, and I don't know what's happening. And for like just like the briefest of moments, I just remember being like, okay, like, all right, you know, I have nothing left. And, you know, not that that was like a first step for me, but that was a beginning for me to be able to come down here. And I got off that plane, I got to a meeting, I got a sponsor that night, and the next day I was going through the book. So, you know, it was just that one little moment of surrender that I feel like opened me up to be able to actually participate in this and find the recovery that I needed. Um, you know, I, I, for one second, I was able to just, like, stop my bullshit and stop trying to run the show, you know, and thank God. And I think that, like, you know, we're about to read on in this, but I think this is where it starts to happen for Bill, you know, for a moment. Like, he's realizing that, like, he's not running this anymore. Um, so that's all I've got. Thanks, Ryan. Awesome. 
Mr. Barry. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Barry. Hi, Barry. And this is uh, such a cool part. You know, we've mentioned it a couple times here. Um, you know, Bill's embarking on his, his first step and putting myself back in those, uh, in his position, you know, the exposure to the program briefly, you know, through, uh, through treatment, you've got, you know, kind of two directions. You've got, okay, I need to go to a meeting the rest of my, or every day for the rest of my life, and I don't know what that's going to lead to, but I know that's going to take up a lot of my time. Or I've got this, this first step situation, and that's going to lead to question marks, but I'm being directed by a sponsor who has what I want. I don't know what that's going to lead to, but it excites me. So I've got, I've got two positions to wrap my head around and really go all in on. And uh, I'm just thankful I went all in on the, the first step excitement and had it lead for the rest of the way. Mm. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks Barry. Barry. Yeah, this paragraph always reminds me of uh, well, two parts of the book. On page six, right before this, he said, the remorse, horror, and hopelessness of the next morning are unforgettable. It always really relate to this. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably, and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. And then in the back, in a vision for you, when he starts talking about the four hideous horsemen that show up, or the four horsemen that show up in the morning, uh, fear, frustration, uh, despair, and loneliness. And then he talks about that, and he says he cannot picture a life without alcohol. Someday he will be able to, unable to imagine life either with alcohol or without it. Then he will know loneliness such as few do. He will be at the jumping off place. He will wish for the end. And you can tell that, that we're in that part of Bill's story, you know, mm-hmm. that he is at that jumping off place where it's like, all right, am I going to go on, you know, as one of these thoughts into history, into the dark? And, and, you know, like Mike Chase said, there wasn't a solution like this back then. So I can only imagine, like, at least for me, where I was in my alcoholism at the jumping off place, I knew that there was something out there. God put a sober alcoholic in my life through Craigslist. Uh, he can use <laughs> Craigslist, too. No, it's true. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, God is very modern. And um, so, you know, I knew that there was, you know, people who drank like I drank and, you know, had this thing called alcoholism that were able to live happy and free and didn't have to drink every day, you know. And, and so I knew there was a solution. And so I can only imagine for Bill what that looked like and, and the darkness and the loneliness that he must have felt and, like, letting down the people who cared about him, you know, his wife and, and uh, family and friends and um, how dark it is before the dawn. I know we're not there yet, but that's that jumping off place. Like I can remember it like it was yesterday. And then to be able to experience uh, sobriety and recovery, um, you know, that, that line really jumps out for me. I feel like that's one of those paragraphs where we all have that visual. You know, it's that moment where we know exactly where we were and like what was happening and how we felt. And every time I read it, you know, immediately right back there. Yeah, as that super alcoholic told me, the pain to continue was much greater than the pain to change. And that's how I knew mm. that I had to change. It was time. All right. Anyone else? God's this help. paragraph? All right. And hit the next one. Yeah. Numero trace. Where do we live off? How did Bill leave Towns Hospital the second time? Trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. What kept him from taking the first drink? Trembling, I stepped from the hospital, a broken man. What caused... Sobered me up 
Fuck mm-hmm. it. I'm sorry, Alan. I ruined that for you. Oh, what caused Bill to start drinking again? Then came the insidious insanity of that first drink. And on Armistice Day, 1934, I was off again. That's probably when did it fail him. Yeah? What was everyone's prognosis for Bill? Everyone everyone became resigned to the certainty that I would have to be shut shut up somewhere or would stumble along to a miserable end. In reality, what was this last drunk to be for Bill? Two sentences. How dark it was before the dawn. In reality, that was the beginning of my last debacle. What was to soon happen to Bill? I was soon to be cap- capulated in, into what? what? Catapulted. I was soon to be catapulted into what? I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. Nice. What was it he would come to know? I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Mm. Yeah? Oh, yeah, let's uh, open that part up. Yeah, we had a little comment here, too. It says, carefully study this paragraph. Look at how it begins. Hopeless. Look at how it ends. Happy, joyous, and free. This paragraph exemplifies the simplicity of the program. The 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. This paragraph is open for sharing. Just one real quick. When I'm working with folks, by this time in Bill's story, the people are pretty shot out and depressed. There's not much hope for us. It's, it's, to bring, it's sort of like a 12-step call. Give them the information of the disease, where it's heading, and the progression, and then you hit them with a little bit of hope before you leave. So up to this point in Bill's story, it is just failure and failure and incomprehensible moral demoralization, inability to control. It's like just jump in front of a train. It's over, you know? The people aren't all that happy right now. But then they hit it with this, I was soon to be catapulted, which is like instantaneously thrown into a whole different way of life, into a life I like to call the fourth, fourth dimension of existence. And I was to know happiness, peace, and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as time passes. Compare that to the remorse, the horror, and the hopelessness of the morning are unforgettable. The courage to battle is not there. My brain raced uncontrollably. There's a terrible sense of impending calamity. Like I, when I'm working with my folks, they really need a little bit of hope. No, we're going we're to smack them down again in the next minute. But, you know, we, we need that little up yeah. and hope and stuff. Like, if you've ever been a 12-step call, if these people are just like, yeah, it's a big deal. You know, I'm homeless. I like this part of the town, you know. And, yeah, I never liked the wife. After, and those kids were so... You know, you, if you don't start feeling a, a bottom of some type, you. an emotional bottom of some type, this isn't going to work. So the whole part of the 12-step. And that's why, you know, they talk about Bill's story being a, a 12-step call. So mm-hmm. Somebody else? My name is Ed. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Ed. You know, it's funny. Uh, tonight I was coming here, and on the AA app from South Florida, it takes you to the jail. <laughs> and I remember being in that jail, and I had to ask the policeman, where is this place? So then I went on Google Maps, and today I have a phone. I wouldn't have had a phone back then, you know. And it brought me here. And it's funny, you know, as I came around, I parked back here, and I came around, I saw that park. 
And I remember screwing up at a three-quarter way house and ending up sleeping the night away in that park. You know, so it was like, whoa, you know. Like memories came back. And uh, I live over by in the landings now, over by Bayview and, and Commercial. And uh, I remember the last, I've got about well, a little over a year and a half. And uh, the last time I used and I drank, I was under that bridge. And I'll never forget the lady in my building. She's uh, got about 15 years. And she told me about a guy that had a beautiful home over there. And he lost his home. And he ended up uh, under the bridge. He wouldn't go to Salvation Army. He absolutely would not go there for help. He was offered. And he ended up getting drunk and slants down. I guess he rolled off. Ended up drowning and, you know, floating down the river uh, and ending up near our apartment with his legs straight up. You know, they had to bail him out of the water. But, uh, you know, it was really dark that day, I remember. And uh, I finally decided to go to treatment. And I had insurance, and they offered me to go some fancy place. I said, no, put me in the house of hope. That's where I need to be. And I found the right counselor there. She was awesome. I still communicate with her, Nicole. And... uh It worked for me, you know, and today I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. Is there anybody here in like early recovery, like, I don't know, first 30, 45 days? Do you know happiness, peace, or usefulness right now? Just just by a show of hands if you're in early recovery. (laughs) Yeah, Malik does. Or he wants to share, either one. When I was in early recovery, that was like the furthest thing from my day-to-day. What's Armistice Day? That's when the war ended. The World War I. It's when the world... Everybody was... Uh, Bill had gone golfing. He went to a, uh, a country club, and they went to have dinner. And after the meal, the guy brought him everybody a free drink, and Bill drank it without knowing they had quit. Did you want to share that with the rest of the world? No. No. Okay. That was the uh, the day the treaty was signed to end World War One. And thank, thank you. you for that, Malik. Too. It just for anyone, if you don't feel like sharing, please feel free to ask questions. In early sobriety, and when I first got to this meeting, I asked a bunch of questions. Reading this book for the first time, there's. A lot to know. A lot of vocabulary. A lot yeah. of world stuff. You know? Don't want to miss it. So thank you for that. Can you say vocabulary again? Vocabulary. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> How dark it is before the dawn. Yeah. That one always resonates with me. But you, for me, I didn't really understand that until I got to see like how cool recovery is. Next paragraph. Did anyone else want to share on this one? All right. All right. Keep it moving. What was Bill doing around the end of November 1934? Near the end of that bleak November, I sat drinking in my kitchen. What caused the sense of satisfaction Bill was experiencing? With a certain satisfaction, I reflected there was enough gin concealed about the house to carry me through the night and the next day. Where was Bill thinking of hiding a bottle? Two sentences. My wife was at work. I wondered whether I dared hide a full bottle of gin near the head of our bed. Nice. 
Why did he feel it necessary to have a bottle under his bed? Mm. I would eat it before daylight. Nice. What interrupted Bill's daydream? Did anyone want to share on that last paragraph? I'm sorry. I'm so bad at the paragraph, you guys. It's a new format. Maybe. It's good. Did anybody end up hiding their things around the house? Yeah? Did anyone want to share their experience or have any questions? Hi, I'm an alcoholic. My name's Gil. Um, I didn't have a problem hiding my alcohol. I had all kinds of hiding spots. I had a problem with accumulating empty bottles and Mm -hmm. getting rid of them. Mm. Yeah. I did that thing where I had like all the empty liquor bottles on the short wall in my kitchen to show you. You thought you were so cool. All the fancy scotches. Look how much I drink. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I did that too. I might as well just put like the Milwaukee's best ice cans up there. <laughs> it didn't really matter. Recovered alcoholic Mike Chase. Hey, Mike. So I have this. I have this room that uh, I call it the Red Room. It's spelled R E A D because it's where the big book's read, and we read the big book. And there's also a bunch of red stuff in there. That's but um, I, I was in the habit of hiding <laughs> bundles um, in very great places, and uh, well, I've got 13 plus years, and uh, I was redecorating the room about a month ago. Was it? And there's this big picture, and I was decided, oh, this would look better on its side. So I put it on the floor, plopped it down, drilled the holes, put the, put the phone, put the picture back up on the wall, stepped back to look at it, and right there, right in front of the, the floor there, was a bundle that had been in there for 13, 13, 13 years. 14 years. Just, and I saw it. I, I grabbed it without even thinking. I just walked to the sink turned on the water, ripped it open, flushed it away, was going to throw it away in the kitchen garbage can. I thought, oh, no, my roommate will think I'm getting high again. <laughs> so I shredded that thing up so tiny, no one could tell what it is. And then, it's like, then it hit me. It's like, without even thinking, it happened. I used to hide that stuff in sockets because my roommate would steal it. But then again, I'd realize I had just been on a blackout and I used it all, but... If I started a weekend with a couple of handles and a couple of eight balls, I could, I could be cool. But the second day, I start panicking because I'm starting to run out. But, yeah, once we have that stuff, you've got to keep having it. So. But to think of all the, all the people that I brought through the steps, and right there in the picture was a big bundle of stuff. <laughs> it's a fun thought. Uh, recovered alcoholic, my name is Barry. Hey, Barry. Hey, Barry. Uh, on, on this topic, I mean, it was everywhere, and... Empty bottles, full bottles, and at, the, at this point, when I think back in, in the most relative terms to my my journey here, I, I had two roommates, and it was it was a large house in Chicago, and hiding places everywhere. But um, th- they knew they knew that I had a problem with alcohol. They didn't know how to help me because they were they were normal, um, normal in the sense of the word. I, I, anyways, I was hiding it, but I didn't know why I was hiding it. I just had this feeling that this, all of this alcohol needs to be mine. And if I don't hide it in places, then people are going to find it and take it from me, and that's not going to end well. So it was just, you know, even though they knew that I had a problem, even though, you know, it, it was open conversation at, the, at this point about it, I was still hiding it and hoarding it and didn't want anyone to take it. And it uh, it's a dark thought to go back there, but it just makes me all the more grateful to be where I am today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
There's a hand up in the back. Hey, I'm Dylan. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Dylan. Dylan. I would, like, hide my shit in, like, everywhere. (laughs) Like, at my mom's house. And I moved out of my mom's house, like, four years ago or whatever. And my dad went through my room because it was just up there. And, like, no one had touched it for, like, three years or whatever. And he found, like, a false bottom in my drawer. He knew there was a false bottom. He called me. He's like, yeah. There was, like, a weird piece of plastic at the bottom of the drawer. I knew there was a false bottom. He pulled it out. I guess there was, like, 30-some bags or whatever. And he threw it in a trash, and my sister's dog got into it. And was, like, throwing up all crazy. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Thank you, Dylan. Thanks, Dylan. God, I didn't die. My friend's dog died that way. Yeah. Yeah, puppy. I was lucky enough, or maybe all my significant others were lucky enough, that I didn't live with them in my uh, active alcoholism. So I didn't have the daily hide a bottle everywhere, but... Maybe just if there was people over and I wanted to keep my separate stash, I would keep, you know, my favorite bottle away from them. But I wasn't much thankfully of a I didn't have to uh, do the daily uh, in the toilet bowl, you know, in the wall frame, false bottoms. I mean, I'm, my name's Blake. I'm an alcoholic. What's up, Blake? This, this doesn't involve alcohol, but I just it hit my head and it is kind of funny to me. It still makes me laugh because, like, I used, when I was living with my girlfriend, I had like tons of packets of lemon juice, and I don't know who's all been around that block, but, like, you do certain things with lemon juice. And she called me one day, and she found a bunch of them, and she's like, well, why do we got so many lemon packets? And I was like, <laughs> I, was like mm, I don't know, baby. <laughs> it ain't mine. <laughs> but she Googled it later. <laughs> and now she knows. Damn you, Google. Ruin my good time. <laughs> All right. Should we should we go to the next one? I'm sure we got lots yeah, of stories on not? this. All right. New paragraph. <laughs> we are at the bottom of eight, yeah? What interrupted Bill's daydreaming? My musing was interrupted by the telephone. Nice. Whose voice did did Bill hear? The cheery voice of an old friend, school friend, asked if he might come over. And if anyone's super unfamiliar, Ebby was Bill's longtime friend who was known to have a very serious drinking problem. What did Ebby want to do? He was sober. What? I think we... I got A, I got B, I read them both. What interrupted Bill's daydreaming? <laughs> We'll start at the... Telephone. Start at the paragraph, yeah. My musings. Sorry, what? We're backtracking. Start at... um, Yeah, my musing. My musing was interrupted by the telephone. Whose voice did Bill hear? The cheery voice of an old school friend asked if he might come over. See, they combined questions, A and B. What did Ebby want to do? He wanted to come over. What condition was Ebby in? Seems weird. Why would I interrupt it? Asking, I don't know. What condition was Ebby in? He was sober. Perfect. Yes, he was. He was sober. Nailed it. Sober. He was sober. That's in them squiggly letters. How did this affect Bill? It was years since I could remember his coming to New York in that condition. One more. I was amazed. How? Mm, what rumor? Mm. 
had Bill heard regarding Ebby? Rumor had it that, that he had been committed for alcoholic insanity. Nice. What did Bill wonder? I wondered how he had escaped. What were Bill's plans? Of course he would have dinner, and then I could drink openly with him. So skip to the next paragraph. When, what? When Bill welcomed Ebby at the door, what did Bill see? Three sentences. Well, the door I opened and he not. stood there fresh skin and glowing. Um, there was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. Yes, girl, he was. Yes, girl, he was. <laughs> inexplicably right. different. Let's, um, this is now open there. for sharing. Yeah, and we'll just finish yeah. the rest of the, the previous paragraph. It said, unmindful of his welfare, I thought only over capturing the spirit of other days. There was a time we chartered an airplane to complete a jag. His coming was an oasis in this dreary desert of futility. The very thing, an oasis. Drinkers are like that. So let's, uh, these two paragraphs are open. Comments, experience, questions. Every time I would have that conversation with my friends, I'm like, you know, maybe I should stop drinking or, you know, maybe it's getting a little out of control. They would always try to talk me out of it. You know, I feel like that would be uh, Bill or, you know, my friend uh, Pete was always notorious for that. I learned later it's probably because if you spot it, you got it. Drinkers are like that. That's right. I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Hey, Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Um, I, I just really, I, mean, I don't like it, but I mean, like, the part that really stands out to me and I can resonate with is down at the bottom where he's just talking about drinking, uh, drinking with Ebby. You know, like, he says that Ebby's sober. Um, we're going to read later on that, uh, you know, Ebby was fresh-skinned and glowing, and there's something about his eyes, right? And, like, so Bill can see this difference in him, but it doesn't matter. You know, he, he hears Ebby's coming, and he thinks, oh, this is awesome. It's going to be like old times, you know, like that's the first thought that goes through his head. I can drink and I'm going to get the same feeling that I used to get because drinking doesn't work for me anymore. So maybe with Ebby here, I can finally recapture what it is that I've been missing. Um, You know, like so the fact that Ebby is doing better than Bill's ever seen him doesn't matter to him. You know, he's just interested in his own little plans, you know, so so it just really, really are. Um, But I mean, it just makes me think of like how selfish I've been in my own addiction, you know, like how many people that like, I just stepped over to get what it is that I wanted, you know? And the, the crazy part about it is like, we're talking up here about how Ebby had alcoholic insanity. Well, I don't know what else you would call this that Bill's doing right now, except for alcoholic insanity, because we know that he's never going to get that feeling that he got before, but that's the obsession, right? Mm. Is chasing that feeling. So, I mean, you know, I have written next to this, Bill wanted to escape alcoholic insanity. That's all I wanted, you know? And through this program, like, we're able to. So I'm excited to see how Bill does it. Yes, Boo. Thanks for sharing. Tanisha, recovered alcoholic. Hi, Tanisha. I like this moment where, you know, Evie comes over and, like, Bill is just thinking of him as this old friend that he's going to, you know be relaxed with you know and comfortable with and and um this to me right here is showing you know bill that you know god is really doing what he could not do for himself by having his friend actually come over and you know be someone completely different 
you know, um, plenty of times uh, I've ran into some friends of mine that, you know, they hit me up on Facebook. Like, they scroll through, you know, my stories, and they see how my life has improved, and they're still in the same place. And I feel for them because when I touch base with them, you know, they're in the same place, you know. And then I do have some friends that, you know, we kick it on a regular basis, and, you know, they're still alive. They're they're thriving in the program. They do their service commitments and everything. And and it really is it's a good feeling to you know have people around you, you know that it's the good and the bad. And I choose to show that to call that God, you know, in the sense where okay, that's where I could be. This is where I am today. You know, uh, it's true. What they say stay in the middle. You know. Um, and I'm forever grateful for this program. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you for Thank sharing. Thank you, Tanisha. Michael Chase? Oh, hi. Recovered alcoholic Mike Chase. Hi, Mike Chase. I think it's kind of important to remember what Bill's condition was like. My musing was interrupted by a telephone. Bill is constantly drinking. He's got stuff stashed around the house. He's got that maintenance drunk. You know, you ever have that maintenance buzz, that maintenance high, you know? You probably can't drive, but you can maybe walk around the house without knocking stuff over too much. The musing is him. You know, he's poking out the windows, you know, looking for the cops or looking for the neighbors. And, and for God's sakes, you never pick up the phone when you're on a run, right? Especially if you're in recovery. So he, he picks up the phone, right? <laughs> Like, I'm sure he doesn't. And by the way, Bill has had no visitors. Nobody wants anything to do with Bill at this time, right? So out of the blue, his friend Ebby calls up, and it just lights him up. And he did notice that he wasn't really drunk yet. And Ebby was Bill's wingman. Bill used to say, if I ever get as bad as Ebby, I will quit drinking for sure. So for Ebby to call up sober was sort of an unusual thing. Because as he said, I've never seen him in that condition before. If we take back to the, to the previous page, Bill was just told by Dr. Silkworth and his wife was just told by Dr. Silkworth that you have alcohol insanity. We're going to lock you up. We're going to, against your will, we just got to get your wife's signature. And Bill pleaded to, as much as he could to keep out of that situation. He escaped the asylum and all that. But he's still getting drunk a little bit. And Ebby shows up. And this is a guy who's driven into people's houses with his car. This is a guy who shot up his own house because there was birds on the freshly painted walls. Ebby was a threat to everyone. And how did he escape from the insane asylum? How did he escape? And is it that he crawled over the fence and he's got running around free now? Or did he escape the alcohol insanity? And that's what Bill's biggest question was, was like, Okay, what's the deal here? Because there was no, like, put the plug in the jug. There was just like, okay, what's the secret? What's he drinking? And what, what quantities? And what with this? And what's his little chemistry lab got going so he can drink normally, you know? And so he shows up, and he's wondering him. Now, we have a thing called the fog-like prayer we read around here. When he showed, and that, that comes from the look in our eyes, the way that we carry ourselves as, as, a, as something different, a new way of life that we stand out from, from, the, from the normal folk. The door opened, there he stood, skin, fresh-skinned and glowing. There was something about his eyes. He was inexplicably different. What had happened? He had found God. He had found a spiritual experience. He had become recovered from alcoholism. So when a recovered alcoholic talks to a newcomer who's still on the fence, and we show this love, this light, this God thing, you know, show them the fog light, and that's what got Bill from kicking him out of the house right away. Because Bill didn't want him touching his booze. Thanks. 
Thanks for sharing. That always reminds me of the part in uh, Doctor's Opinion where he's recounting his uh, experience with uh, Hank Pankhurst or Parkhurst, and he says, "From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck, had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. Talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel I had known him before." And that's a phenomenon, you know, when you get to work with others, you get to see that light come on. But it's always even crazier when you see somebody, maybe you spoke at a detox or maybe mm-hmm. you saw them when they first come in. And, a few years. You, know, you, you see them again in three months, six months. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, did I meet you before? Yeah, and she's yeah. like, you're a completely different person. And look at you. You had a bath. But, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's cool to see, you know, all these lives get transformed when you, when you get to stay here for a few 24. And, um, you know, that's what he saw in, in Ebby, and that's what made it attractive, um, that here's a guy that drank like he drank or worse, and there he is right in front of him. His, his feet grasp new soil, as they talked about. So should we go on to the next paragraphs? I, think we're getting, I don't, I don't getting, think so. No, I think, think so? I think we're going to call it, man. We okay, got a little man. business tonight. I think we're going to wind it on down. All right, I think I messed it up the last few times, so we're just going to... No, know. we're good. Yeah. We're good. All right. <clears throat> Shutting on down here. From a vision for you. Yeah? God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. Mm. It is the practice of the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group for group member sponsors to introduce their new sponsees by presenting them with a sponsorship medallion. Uh, Anyone presenting a la noche? A la noche. It means tonight. I think. No? No? No one? Get some sponsors. Anyone celebrating a year or more of sobriety and would like to be recognized? Second strike. Is anyone in need of a big book sponsor? Huh? Nobody? If you're shy, feel free to come up to any of the home group members after the meeting. Uh, Would all home group members raise their hands? Speaking of home group members, if you would like to become a member of this group, please join us after the meeting to fill out a membership card. And let's give our thank you to Brittany. Yeah, Brittany. (laughs) All right. And uh, thank you for joining us tonight. We hope to see you next week uh, or Thursday evening is our alcoholics. What, what? I said, what's that? You were going to tell them. Oh, okay. I, where yeah, interrupted you. Our Alcoholics in God's Step series workshop uh, starting at 715 downstairs in the fellowship hall. And one last thing while you're exiting, please wait, please, please, until you're at least 75 feet away from the door to vape or to smoke. Thank you in advance. And or if you're a home group member or somebody helping us break down, set up the room here afterwards and you're a little vapey dragon, you get VIP balcony access 
just, you know, if you're not very stable right now, stay off the balcony and go outside. <laughs> but otherwise, feel free to do your thing that you need to do and then come back and help us uh, set up. And also, feel free to stick around and contribute to uh, the, the seventh. That's a tradition I was looking oh. for. If you do not have cash, I will be donating electronically, so stick around. And we do have a business meeting as well. That is correct. Oh, sweet potatoes. All right, and let us now remain seated, and we will close with the Lord's Prayer. Sweet potatoes. <sighs> Who's your daddy? Our, Our fathers, fathers, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. is heavy, soul is thirsty, body's aching.
Susan, Susan. Oh, when you're smiling. When you're smiling. The whole smiles with you, baby, baby. Yes, when you're laughing. When you laugh in Yes, the sun Come shining through But when you crying You bring on the rain Stop your singing, baby, and be happy again. Yes, and keep on smiling. Keep on smiling, baby, and I hope.
Here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Time in my life 
leaves are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time outside my door. Never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. Broken man I traveled far and wide through the great divide through his own heart. Yeah, well, I have a life today when it's given away and it's just about to start. So I face each day. Brand new way, show up and plug in my guitar. And I play my songs, and people sing along, and stomp their feet and raise their arms. And here in this moment that we share, nothing could come. song is. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
Just won't say. 